Hello and welcome to the She Reads Truth podcast. She Reads Truth creates beautiful, accessible Bible reading plans and resources to help you get into God's Word every day. Each week here on the podcast, we talk about what we're going to read together as a community this week. I'm your host, Rachel Myers. And I'm your other host, Amanda Bible-Williams. And this is week six of our seven-week Lent series, where we're reading through the books of First and Second Chronicles, and eventually we'll get to Holy Week and to prepare to celebrate Easter together. Today, we are welcoming back to the podcast our friend and mentor, Dr. George Grant. Dr. Grant is the pastor of a local church here in Franklin, Tennessee. He is involved in so many wonderful, worthwhile things. He has founded a classical school. He has founded a homeschool co-op. He has founded a college. He's the author of dozens of books in a variety of areas. He has podcasts, sermons, curriculum packages, so many things that rather than list them all, I'm going to just tell you that the link in the show notes will get you to everything that Dr. Grant has to offer, which is so much. And speaking of that, you all, just so that you know, our show notes for each episode are a place where you can find all of our scripture references that we talk through on the podcast, updates about what's going on here at She Reads Truth, and where you can find us and our guests online. Just click in the description of wherever you're listening to the podcast Click the description and head over to the podcast tab of our website at shereadstruth.com, and you'll find so much goodness there every week for each podcast episode. But right now, we are going to get to this conversation with Dr. Grant as he really does pastor us through the end of these books that we've been reading together and as we are preparing our hearts to get to Holy Week. So let's get right to it. Dr. Grant, it is exciting to me to have you here with us today, mm-hmm. really anytime you're with us on the podcast. <laughs> only it's the third time. Only ever, the third time. I ever. can't believe it's been <laughs> too long. We need to have you back more often. But when you come, we always learn so much, and you're always so generous with the things that you've studied, the things that you've read, and the way that the Spirit is at work in your life. And I like that we are at the very tail end of our First and Second Chronicles series, One of the things that I appreciate about you is that I know that this conversation will get to take a little bit different format than it sometimes does with other guests, where I think that we'll get to take a little bit of a journey around all of Scripture, which is something that you have taught me to do. Mm -hmm. A lot of why She Reads Truth takes its journeys through Scripture the way we do is a lot because of your mentorship in, in my life. And so I'm excited to get to do this. Thank you for being here. Oh, it is always my great delight. Thank you. It's so much fun. And I, you know this, but I believe in She Reads Truth, its vision, Mm -hmm. its purpose, its format, its structure. I believe in what God has called the two of you to do, to prompt in all of the rest of us. And I love it that She Reads Truth just really grew up out of your own journey into Mm -hmm. the Word of God. It really did. So this is just, uh, this is a great delight. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for being such a big part of that journey, not just in Rachel's life, but in mine. I mean, I got to meet you through her, and Mm -hmm. I don't know that I will ever forget. I hope I don't ever forget so many of those early conversations of just really leaning on Mm -hmm. the guidance and counsel of people we trusted, and you were just such a significant one of those. And so we're so grateful, you all. You all listening, if you didn't know it before, you now know to thank the Lord for Dr. George Grant. Another (laughs) another fun fact, Dr. Grant, I don't know if you even know this, the format of our study books, where we print all of the scripture that we're going to read in the Mm -hmm. books, it originally inspired for me by the worship folders at Parish. Because when we, I mean... It is not a one card at Parish. It is like, here is the sheet music for every song we're going to read, every note, and uh-huh. then all the words of all the scriptures, not just the references. And I loved that. And that was so much of my upbringing. And so it felt so natural to go, what if we made books where all the scripture mm-hmm. was right there printed in them? And so, yeah, I little remember fun fact. <laughs> you used to have That's a fun. stack of those in your office, like oh, yeah. early, early, like Sunday first morning offices. worship programs. Yeah. yeah. And so one of good. our goals in worship, we do a lot in just a short span of time. We sing between 11 and 13 pieces of music. Uh, wow. We have uh, between nine and 14 passages of scripture that are either read or prayed or sung. 
And one of our goals is to make everything say one thing. Uh-huh. And that's one of the things that I love about what She Reads Truth does, is on every day, there are New Testament correlations or Old Testament mm-hmm. correlations. Mm-hmm. There's you know, sort of a cross-reference. There's a thematic, systematic approach to everything. But it always says just one thing. Yeah, and that's what Scripture Hallelujah. does. Yeah. Scripture yeah. tells one story. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Okay, so, so let's tell the story so again. So let's tell the story again. <laughs> First and Second Chronicles, I will tell you all listening that even before we hit record, we were all just kind of chatting, the three of us, and already getting excited as Dr. Grant was sharing with us about sort of the context of First and Second Chronicles in the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. And I would love for like, we were like, pause, 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 don't say anymore. We, <laughs> we want our friends to get to hear this too. But would you give us a little bit of that context of... The Chronicles in Scripture? Sure. Well, you've already talked about the fact that First and Second Chronicles were originally one book, a mm-hmm. single narrative. Actually, it's a single narrative within a larger single narrative. It's a post-exilic book, again, which you have talked about. Uh, this is after the people of Israel have returned. They waited all of these years mm-hmm. during the Babylonian exile to come home. And under Ezra, they come home under Nehemiah. They begin to, to rebuild the walls. They have this long period where they have no place to worship except rubble. And Haggai causes them to lay the foundation stones. But it's taking so long. Yeah. And the people are deeply discouraged. And they've wondered if they will even survive as a people. And if they do survive as a people, is it even worth it? Is God's hand permanently Mm -hmm. removed from them? And so one of the things that we see in the last three of the minor prophets, the last three books in the Bible, as well as in First and Second Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther, is this story of God's redemptive and disciplinary purposes with His people. Mm-hmm. And First and Second Chronicles tells us the big narrative of that. So we get introduced to Zechariah and Isaiah. We get introduced to the way that the people got to where they were. But it's set in this larger context. In truth, First and Second Chronicles were a part of a much larger book, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, hmm. First and Second Chronicles were all probably either written by Ezra or under his assignment. Okay. So it's all one big book. So wow. you have to read that in context. Uh-huh. And while this book is being written, Haggai and Zechariah and Malachi are all ministering. At the same time. And they are the heirs of the teaching of Isaiah and Jeremiah. So you've got this whole comprehensive look. And what Ezra is wanting to do is summarize it all. Yeah. Teach the big lessons. He wants to show the rise and the fall where unfaithfulness leads the nation, and how quickly faithfulness can restore God's blessing. You you look at Ahaz Mm -hmm. or Manasseh, Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. you think to yourself, oh, my word, could it get any worse? Right. All of a sudden, along comes Hezekiah or Josiah, and God pours out His blessing on faithfulness. And we see the exact same pattern. What Ezra was attempting to lead the people to do Uh once they had arrived, we see that every time there is a revival, there's exactly the same pattern. What does Hezekiah do first? It's the same thing that Josiah did first. What did he do second? It's the exact same thing that Josiah did second. And that's the pattern that Ezra is exhorting the people to do, what Haggai is exhorting the people to do, what Zechariah is all about, what Zephaniah is all about, what Malachi is all about. So it's all one big story. The Hebrew Old Testament actually only had 22 books. And we have 39. We have 39. Okay. But for 2 Samuel, along with Ruth, 
were one book. Okay. And then Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, First and Second Chronicles, they were one book. First and Second Kings were one book. And then the minor prophets, what yeah. Stephen calls the book of the 12 in Acts chapter 7. Uh-huh. That was one book. Wow. Hmm. And the astonishing thing is, huh. is you can really see it's one book because every book ends on, in, in the Minor Prophets, uh-huh. ends on some sort of thematic image, and that thematic image is what the next book picks up on. So, it's like so they're not in yeah. chronological oh, wow. order, okay. they are in thematic order. Okay, yeah, that would make sense. So, wow. We're in the midst of this grand story, Uh and Ezra, or one of Ezra's pupils, Mm -hmm. is now taking us through that journey to remind us Mm -hmm. of the nature of the covenant Mm -hmm. of God's, uh, you know, Deuteronomy 28, his uh, blessings and his cursings, Mm -hmm. and how quickly he restores what is right and good and true in the culture, beginning as the people restore right, good, and true worship. Worship, mm. yeah. So I was going to ask you, as you were saying how Hezekiah and Josiah, like they were sort of the same formula of what they would do first and second. Those first things that they did was that, right? The restoring of right worship. So right. repairing the temple, right. tearing down the, the high the places. Asherah poles well, that's, and the high that comes places. next. So, oh, so, okay. so yeah, help us. Hezekiah is in, in chapter 29. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. So he restores worship by reopening the temple, yes. cleaning it up, restoring it. Then in chapter 30, he celebrates the Passover. And then in for chapter, the first time in a long time. For the first time in a long time. And then in chapter 31, he cleanses there the land go. of the idols. Okay. So proper worship, celebrating the Sabbath and the Sabbath of Sabbaths, mm-hmm. and then cleansing the land. So from worship flows all of the rest of life right. and ministry. So you start with worship. When we start to see worship corrupted, it has a ripple effect that goes out. Eventually, you know, you have Sennacherib come and invade the land, or you start to see, you know, the Philistines or the Ammonites, they start to invade. This is a pattern. When worship is corrupted, Mm. uh, when the church fails to be the church, Mm -hmm. the culture begins to suffer. When the culture begins to suffer, the people are made captive. Yeah. Mm. Man. And that's a huge lesson for us. Yeah. Hezekiah doesn't come and fix the culture first. Hezekiah and Josiah restore proper worship. They hand over the authority in the proper place. One of the passages that I love, 2 Chronicles chapter 27, when Jotham follows his father Uzziah, who failed at the end of his life. He was a good king, faithful king, but... He prospered mm-hmm. in his 52 years mm-hmm. of being the king. He prospered, and he became arrogant, and yeah. he fell. That's what was, in what's that chapter line? 26. But when he became strong, he grew arrogant. Yeah. Ah. I know. One of the reasons why the Apostle Paul boasts in his weakness yes. in yeah. 2 Corinthians. You know, when I am weak, then he is strong. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I love this. Jotham When he's 25 years old, he becomes the king. Mm -hmm. He reigns 16 years in Jerusalem, names his mother, and then it says in verse 2, he did what was right in the Lord's sight, just as his father Uzziah had done, but in addition, Mm -hmm. he didn't enter the Lord's sanctuary. So what's he doing? He's yielding proper jurisdiction. Mm. Only Jesus is prophet, priest, and king. That's right. Mm -hmm. In the Old Testament, prophet, priest, and king were separate offices with separate jurisdictions, and those jurisdictions were not to be obscured. Uzziah obscured those by going into the temple and attempting to offer sacrifices as king as if he were priest. Yeah. His son restores proper worship. 
And so by the time we get to Hezekiah, we start to see those jurisdictions really reinforced because Hezekiah recognizes the authority of the priests. In fact, Mm -hmm. at one point, when they begin to restore worship, we're told in chapter 29, verse 34, there weren't even enough priests <laughs> yeah. because the revival was so great, everyone wanted to offer sacrifices. And so the Levites had to come and help them. And interestingly, what we see there is that the revival was a grassroots revival from the bottom up because it says the Levites were more conscientious to consecrate themselves than the priests were. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. So what we've got is we've got this grassroots revival because Hezekiah recognizes the jurisdictions. He calls for the restoration of worship first. All of the restoration of culture is downstream Yes. From true worship. Yes. Which is something that we fail to recognize over and over again. When we look at our culture and we see the mess that it's in, the first thing that we want to say is, what do we need to do? Who do we vote for? What Supreme Court decisions should we look to? And the answer is actually, if the church would be the church, then downstream, all of those things will take care of themselves. Yes. We have to be active, we have to be vigilant, we have to be engaged, but we have to start at the start and not at the end. Yeah, and it's so so clear, it's so clear that Hezekiah, the priority that this takes for him, because at the beginning of chapter 29 and verse 3, it says, in the first year of his reign, and not just the first year, in the first month, Mm. he opened the doors of the Lord's temple and repaired them. And then he brought in the priests and the Levites, and listen to what he says to them in verse 5. He said to them, hear me, Levites, consecrate yourselves now Mm. and consecrate the temple of the Lord, the God of your ancestors. Remove everything impure from the holy place. And so I love that. And he confesses his sin. He says right there in verse 6, for our ancestors, meaning his dad. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Our ancestors were unfaithful and did what was evil in the sight of the Lord our God. They abandoned him, turned their faces from the Lord's dwelling place, and turned their backs on him. They also closed the doors. I mean, it's just... That that verse 7, like where you stop, they also closed the doors of the portico, extinguished the lamps, did not burn incense, and did not offer burnt offerings in the holy place of the God of Israel. Like I made a note in my margin and just thought, that happened all of a sudden? Did just one day they were doing it and one day they stopped? Like what mm. transpired that they would just stop doing that? You know, the Ten Commandments start with, in the first commandment, who— are we supposed to worship? That's right. Second commandment is about how we are supposed to worship. The third commandment is about what language we're to use when we worship. And the fourth commandment is about when we worship. They're all tied together. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. what happens when we start to fudge Mm -hmm. on any of the commandments we start to see the whole thing collapse around us. So we don't know if there was just one wicked high priest who abandoned everything, but likely, knowing human nature and knowing history, what happened was is that they were corrupt, Mm. they began to take bribes, Mm. the people became, as a result, disillusioned, they wandered away, it wasn't worth it anymore, Mm. they went from three services on the Sabbath to two (laughs) services on the Sabbath Mm -hmm. to one service on the Sabbath to... Easter and Christmas. And that image of the extinguished lamps, like, that's jarring. It's sobering. It is sobering. And it's really sobering when we see the same pattern in our own lives when the Lord's Day becomes for us, at best, a commitment of an hour and a half a week. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 At best. So what Hezekiah does, what Josiah does, becomes for Ezra and those 
post-exilic returnees to Jerusalem a reminder that they need to put first things first, and that as they put first things first, they can begin to really transform the culture. Remember, in Haggai, they had gotten it backwards. Haggai comes and he says, you live in paneled houses, and the house of the Lord is in ruins. Yeah. So he begins this renewal. He calls them to repentance. The people do repent, but it still takes them a month before they even start work. And it's months after that before they can celebrate the first Passover. And they still haven't rebuilt anything. They've only laid foundations. What we see is the storytelling here in the narrative is incredibly purposeful. Yeah. We don't get the whole story of Hezekiah. First and Second Kings gives us a lot more detail mm-hmm. about, you know, his foreign policy and all mm-hmm. of that. That's not the purpose of First and Second Chronicles. The purpose of First and Second Chronicles is to call the post exilic community to repentance and to put first things first. That's good. And you even see at the end of a lot of the king's stories, it'll say, there's more to be said about this guy in the book of the kings. Yes, Yes. in the book of the kings, or in one place it says, and Isaiah tells more of the story. So you've got these other details. His purpose is not to give us all of the details. His purpose is really to call us to revival and renewal. And then to unity. Like you see that in 2 Chronicles 30, that first verse, then Hezekiah sent word throughout all Israel and Judah. And he also wrote letters to Ephraim and Manasseh to come to the Lord's temple in Jerusalem to observe the Passover of the Lord. He wasn't going, let's keep this for ourselves. He was going, what if we all came back together? Right. And I love it. Over and over again, we have this phrase, and all the people rejoiced. Yeah. 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 That unity, I mean, it of course makes us think of the high priestly prayer where Jesus is going that they would be one as you and I are one. But like that is what Hezekiah wants here, that we could just be one in worship of the Lord. So one of the things, obviously, and this is something that you've already touched on, is the emphasis on covenant. There's covenant Mm -hmm. language that is used all the way throughout. First and Second Chronicles are intended to remind the people that God has made covenant with them. They have entered into covenant with him. And therefore, they're to live covenantally, they're to walk covenantally. But in addition to that, God's blessings and his discipline are meted out in a covenantal form. Yes. This is why I think it's just so perfect. At the end of Second Chronicles 31, you've got uh, Micah <laughs> chapter 6, verses 6 through 8, because... That is the end of a covenantal lawsuit sequence that the prophet brings against the unfaithful people. And it ends, of course, with that clarion call Mm -hmm. for wholeness in the believer's life and in the believing culture's manifestation in history to do justice, love mercy, and to walk humbly with God. But it begins by this deep repentance over a lack of worship, and then it moves to the right recognition of jurisdictions, which then leads them to celebrate together in unity, the Passover, which then causes them to go out into the land and cleanse the land of its wickedness. Mm Yeah, I can't help but continue to think about the season that we're in, the season that we are intentionally reading these books in. It's the season of Lent, and that when you say, Dr. Grant, that the purpose of the Chronicles is to call the people to repentance and to make first things first, you know, repentance and revival and renewal, that is our hope as believers in the season of Lent, that it is like a pause to remember, mm-hmm. to remember God's faithfulness and the story of which we are a part and to repent and to return again for, you know, renewal and restoration and rejoicing. Mm-hmm. Like all of those R's, mm-hmm. it just, it is one story. Like you said mm-hmm. at the top of the episode, we're telling the story again. Mm-hmm.
Hey friends, taking a quick break to invite you to join us for our next reading plan following Lent. It's entitled A Living Hope, a Biblical Study of Resurrected Life in Christ. We're going to explore the wonder and implications of Jesus' resurrection and what it means for our life as believers. We're going to start that reading plan on Monday, April 10th. Now, if you missed your chance to order the study book, do not worry. You can get your digital copy of the study book at shopshereadstruth.com slash hope digital. And there you'll be able to buy your digital study book or legacy book. And once your purchase is complete, you'll receive a download link in a separate email, and then you'll have what you need to follow along just as if you had the physical study book. So that's shopshereadstruth.com slash hope digital. Go grab your living hope study book today. Hey friends, do you want to keep opening your Bibles, but you're not sure where to start or what to read next? The She Reads Truth subscription box makes daily Bible reading easy. Sign up and we will send you our newest study book every month so you never have to wonder what to read next. We will help you be a woman in the Word of God every day. Just visit shopshereadstruth.com slash subbox, that's S-U-B-B-O-X, and get your monthly subscription today. And while you're there, don't forget to sign up for our text message program. That is the best way to get early bird access to all of our biggest deals, restock alerts, special offers, all the things. That's shopshereadstruth.com slash subbox. All right, back to the show. What's really remarkable, I think, about this is that in order to actually bring about this sort of restoration— that uh, repentance, renewal, revival, all of the R words. Um, In order to bring that to pass, you have to have incredible courage. You know that there were entrenched interests. Already we see that the priests were not as diligent in consecrating themselves as the Levites. That tells you something about the priesthood and why the temple was shuttered in the first place. Mm. So in order to sort of stand against those entrenched interests required a great deal of courage, and Hezekiah and Josiah were young when they did. But part of the way that they were able to bolster their courage and to recognize that this was the right thing to do is that both of them recovered the Word of God. Yes. That's right. That's right. So, you know, great courage is required. A tremendous amount of diligence and effort is required. There is danger all about. The enemies of Israel are threatening on all sides. Mm-hmm. And you can imagine the courtiers in Hezekiah and Josiah's court saying, you know, all of this, all of this temple stuff, that that's all well and good, but there's so much other stuff you need to be paying attention to. Can you set that aside for a little yeah. while and let's focus on this? And it's the recovery of the word of God. Even when Josiah is a boy, it's the recovery of the Word of Mm -hmm. God that bolsters and enlivens and, in the end, gives him the courage to do what he needs to do. Does he become king at eight? Eight. Eight years old. Eight years old. My goodness. It's incredible. I know that this is like off topic, but as I'm turning the pages in the study book right now, right in the middle of this week, we have a few spreads dedicated to that conversation that you mentioned earlier about... Jesus as prophet, priest, and king. And in the Old Testament, those offices held individually, but that in Christ, they're held more than all three by him, but he is both the the priest and the sacrifice, all of these things. Can we talk about that a little bit more in depth? I I, I love it that you tied all of that in, in this place, because that really is one of the big issues in Chronicles, is the failure to recognize jurisdictions. It starts with Uzziah, but we start to see it every time there's unfaithfulness. Right from the beginning, it's the erecting of idols by the king, violating jurisdiction of the priesthood, you know, refusing to listen to the prophets, all of the rest. In Jesus, according to the book of Hebrews, we have the bringing together of all three 
offices. Uh-huh. You know, Hebrews chapter one starts with the fact that in you know in the former days we we had these prophets that God spoke through, but in these latter days we have the one true great prophet, the Mm -hmm. Lord Jesus. And then later in the book of Hebrews, when we get to Hebrews chapter 4, we see that he is our great high priest. And then, of course, we see in multiple places, especially when we get to the book of Revelation, Christ as king. That's right. But we see him as king most beautifully, I think, in the passage that you highlight, which is Philippians chapter 2, where every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. I love that whole spread that you have here on prophet, priest, and king. And I love the fact that you highlight it in the way that you do, in the place that you do, because it's exactly what Ezra is getting at, or yeah. Ezra's people. We, we, the we chronicler. Don't know that the chronicler. This, We've been yeah, referring chron- to this okay, person. Good. as. Yeah. <laughs> and then we get to, in day 38, Manasseh's repentance. Manasseh, if he's not the most wicked. He was really really, really wicked. And yet, like the thief on the cross, he is just one breath of repentance away hmm. from forgiveness. It's really stunning. I it mean, is. because we see it here in this is chapter 33 of Second Chronicles, verse 10. The Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people, but they didn't listen. So he brought against them the military commanders of the king of Assyria. They captured Manasseh with hooks, bound him with bronze shackles, and took him to Babylon. When he was in distress, he sought the favor of the Lord, his God, and earnestly humbled himself—there's a couple of important words Mm -hmm. there—earnestly humbled himself before the God of his ancestors. He prayed to him, and the Lord was receptive to his prayer. He granted his request and brought him back to Jerusalem to his kingdom— So Manasseh came to know that the Lord is God. And then the actions he takes after that indicate that this is a sincere pivot. This is a sincere return. It's interesting to like think back just a couple chapters earlier, that line in 28, verse 22, at the time of his distress, King Ahaz himself became more unfaithful. That's right. Right. Yeah. Like that's our contrast. Right. The other thing that's really interesting, you mentioned the really important words, you know, he earnestly Mm -hmm. sought the Lord. He Uh earnestly repented. What's really interesting here is that this language is used, almost that same vocabulary is used in the book of Daniel to describe the repentance of Nebuchadnezzar. Who also was pretty far gone. He was as far gone as you can be. I mean, his wickedness was abounding in every area of his life. His pride was overweening. And then he went utterly and completely mad. Mm -hmm. But he still wasn't too far from the extension of God's grace and God brought him back. So I love the fact that we have people like the thief on the cross, Nebuchadnezzar and Manasseh, Uh to be able to say to our friends, no, no, you're not beyond the grace and the forgiveness of God. No, it's not too late to repent. No, it's never too late to cry out and to know that the Lord is God. (sighs) I mean, you mentioned Paul earlier, the chief of sinners, <laughs> self-proclaimed, sinners. right? Yeah. And, and and he was not too far for God's hand to extend to him. Yeah. yeah. And for we as the church to never begrudge that grace right. that God, yeah. I mean, to like not... Jonah. I know. I'm Jonah. thinking you think of the Ninevites and how wicked this culture was. Or Jonah himself, who absolutely begrudges everything that God has called him to and every word that he is saying. You can see almost he's He's preaching with gritted teeth. World's, you know? worst, world's least enthusiastic <laughs> sermon. <laughs> but the fact that we have the story of Jonah yeah. is his repentance. Yeah, exactly. Because yeah. he tells the story on himself. Yeah, he does. Ugh. Jonah. I have a few. I have a few books I could write called yeah. Amanda. <laughs> Self-repentant. <laughs> yeah. 
It really is. I was telling Rachel that our youngest, who is nine now, but he is a very young nine, and he will, anytime we are watching or proposing to watch any kind of movie or read any kind of book, his first question is, is there a bad guy? Or if it's about a specific person, are they mean? Are they bad or good? And so it has been a journey of understanding, okay, what does this mean? And if it's like, well, yes, there is a bad guy, do they get good? Like he mm-hmm. wants to know if they change. Yeah. And so, and you know, we've had conversations about how, well, um, we're kind of all that. <laughs> like we all, like it's, you know, we make choices and mm-hmm. da, da, da. But it is, you root for that in a story. Yeah. And also, if it feels like there's not enough of a payoff or enough of a punishment even, we feel... Cheated. Cheated. God builds yeah. right and wrong. God builds justice into the very fabric of creation. And so we, we naturally yearn for it. You know, what's a buddy movie? A buddy movie is two <laughs> people that are as far apart as they can possibly be. They're thrown together in horrible circumstances. <laughs> they hate each other all the way through the whole story, but they realize by the end, they have to have each other. They complete each other. They belong together. Right. I mean, right. that's what the real story of redemption always looks like. Hmm. It's part of the reason why we have to have all of the contrasts that we do in Chronicles. We see the good, we see the bad, and we see the ugly all you know, laid out for us. And we have to see that contrast right. in order to know how mm-hmm. extraordinary the grace of God is when the people of God who have gone so far are restored and are blessed and are prospered. Yeah. Dr. Grant, for a minute, will you talk to our listeners as they are theoretically listening to this on the day it releases? Most people do. And so that's the Monday of reading for this week. And one of our two aims for this podcast is to just encourage people and and get them excited about opening the Bible for themselves every day this week. And so would you just talk to our listeners for a second and encourage them through these last five reading days of Second Chronicles? What else should they be looking for? Why should they not miss it? There are a thousand reasons to not miss these last bits. But I mean, this is where the story winds down. And this is the chronicler Ezra or whoever, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. this is where he's getting to the real punchline because the contrasts become fast and furious. It's like every other king is really good. And then every other king is really, really bad. But Ezra's whole point from beginning to end Mm -hmm. is to reinforce what the scripture memory verse says. That's right. Yeah. Yours, Lord is the greatness and the power and the glory and the splendor and the majesty for everything in the heavens and on earth belongs to you. The whole point that the people in the post-exilic generation needed to realize is that everything wasn't just about them. Mm -hmm. It was about him and that he would fulfill his greater purposes for them. So as we read these last few chapters, we have to see that over and over and over again because we live it every day. We live with our frustrations and our disappointments. We look around at our culture and we wonder, is this ever going to be redeemable? And we have wayward sons and daughters, and we think, will they ever be able to come home? Will they ever repent? Have they gone too far? And the answer, of course, is... Yours, Lord, is the kingdom, and you are exalted as head over all. Riches and honor come from you, and you're the ruler of everything. Power and might are in your hand, and it is in your hand to make great and to give strength to all. Now, therefore, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. That's the story. And that's what we get in these last couple of chapters as we make our way to the end. The story doesn't end with Uzziah and, you know, his pride. 
Uh, It doesn't end with Jotham and his half attempt at some sort of restoration. It doesn't end with Ahaz and his collapse into infidelity. It doesn't even end with Hezekiah and his great prayer, I'll extend my life, Lord. It doesn't end with Josiah and the discovery of the law and the cleansing of the temple. It doesn't end with Malachi. It doesn't end with the Lord Jesus and his journey. It ends when the trump sounds and the glorious kingdom is realized over the whole of the universe and the eternal purposes of God are fulfilled from beginning to end. And all of those creation ordinances laid out in Genesis 1 and 2 are finally restored completely, no longer corrupted by sin and brokenness and despair. The story that we see here is the outworking of the gospel. It's the wheat and the tares growing up together, awaiting the harvest day, when the wheat will be brought into the sheaves and the tares will be burned up on the fires. Thank you for saying. I understand there are microphones in this room and that I'm not the only person here, but that was what I needed to hear, that encouragement toward where all of this is headed. And so right. thank you for sharing. I think I'm probably not alone in just saying right. thank you for that. That was right. beautiful. And I'm so encouraged as we conclude this reading in the Chronicles. And as we begin next week on Sunday, on Palm Sunday, it marches me toward Jerusalem. Yeah. And we begin with the Hosannas. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna. Hosanna in the highest. That's right, yeah. That's yeah. right. And you said that ending that you so beautifully articulated is the end of the redemption story, and part of the beauty of it is that that is then the picture of eternity. Amen. That the curtain doesn't close. That's right. But it goes on forever, and there's no— you talk about getting to the end of a movie and feeling cheated— we will not feel cheated. Uh, no, 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 no. <laughs> we will not. There will not be a short straw drawn. Like no. this will be, and that is a reality mm-hmm. that and it's so hard for us to grasp, mm-hmm. but it is as real as these stories of history that we're reading of this moment that we are living. You know, this glorious scene in Revelation 15, where we're almost to the consummation, just right before the marriage supper of the Lamb. It's this glorious moment where Moses steps out and he reprises the old song that he sang first when uh, the people of Israel escaped from the rampages of Pharaoh and across the Red Sea, he begins to sing again now at the consummation of history, great and marvelous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty, just and true are your ways, O King of the ages, who will not fear you? Who will not worship and bow down before you? Now, this is looking back across all the years, all the ups, all the downs, all the Ahazes, all the Hezekiahs, all the Josiahs, all the Zedekiahs, Mm -hmm. and at the end of it all, the host of heaven, standing on the glassy sea, says, it was right all along. (laughs) You, O Lord, have all of the greatness and all of the power, and therefore we fall down and worship you, for you have done all good things. Mm. Amen. Praise the Lord. Take us, if you will, we've zoomed really close in here in the book of Chronicles and then out to like creation mandates to eternity. Would you come to us and take us through the history tie? We know in the Hebrew Bible, tell me if I'm wrong, that Chronicles is the end of the Hebrew Bible. It sits at the end of the Bible or the Old Testament, right, and then begins the Gospels. But historically, from the end of this book into the New Testament, into Jesus riding the donkey into Jerusalem, what happened from the end of this book, from these kings? And I understand that is a giant question. I'm talking Mm -hmm. about like zoom back in, but this is still a pretty high zoom out, Mm -hmm. I recognize. But would you set the historical stage for us? 
yeah. into Holy Week. So Chronicles ends with Cyrus's decree. So Cyrus issues the decree. A year later is when Ezra brings back, you know, the the first of along with Zerubbabel and and Joshua the high priest. They bring back the first settlers. Then we have about a hundred years of the post-exilic period that remain that cover that last bit of Old Testament history, and then there's four hundred years of a gap. It's the gap that gives us Alexander the Great. It's the gap that gives us the breakup of Alexander's empire, the march of the Persians, the beginning of the Roman Empire, the conquests of the Caesars, the rising up of the Herods, and all of that occurs prior to the birth of Christ. So the world is radically transformed from the end of Chronicles with Cyrus's decree. The people of God who finally established themselves in the land still have quite a few roller coaster rides during that gap. So when Jesus comes, there are those who are utterly and completely disillusioned, they're secularized, and they're scattered. This is where the Jewish diaspora comes from, where later the Apostle Paul is able to go all throughout the Roman Empire and find Jewish communities in places like Thessalonica and Ephesus. And so he always begins his missionary work with the diaspora. The disillusioned people of Israel, they've scattered. Some of them have assimilated. Some of them are lost in in the Roman world or the Persian world. The largest Jewish settlement outside of the Holy Land itself was in uh, what today is Saudi Arabia, huge Jewish settlement there, Mm -hmm. totally secularized, completely abandoned, you know, any sense of the faith. So when Jesus comes, when the apostles start to scatter, by this time, there's really not much Judaism left. The Pharisees were a tiny, tiny little sect. The Sadducees were a very compromised, politicalized sect. And then there were the Herodians, who were simply power brokers. You don't have the Talmud yet. You don't have any of the kinds of things that we associate with modern Judaism. None of that exists. Hmm. That's the vacuum into which the gospel comes. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, it's also the period that the world starts to have its first superhighways, the Roman roads, the Persian roads, the King's Highway, that would enable the Apostle Paul to plan missionary journeys literally to the Atlantic Ocean. (laughs) So you start to see the world really prepared. Israel is almost altogether lost, Hmm. which is something that's a theme that Paul returns to again and again. It's why in Romans we have this interlude in chapters 9 through 11 where he really zeroes in on the lost heart of Judaism. But God uses this scattered, broken people to turn the world literally upside down, which is exactly what he's doing right now. It's exactly what he's doing in China, where the underground church is harried and persecuted and is growing faster than when it prospered. It's why the fastest growing church in the world right now is in Iran. Yep. It's why churches in Saudi Arabia are exploding with growth. It's why in northern Iraq, terrorized by ISIS to this day, the churches are growing. God uses adversity and grows it. We think in America that things are just absolutely awful. And you know why they're awful? Because we're so prosperous that we've become comfortable and we've become negligent. So anyway, all of that to say, during the gap between the end of Chronicles and the launching of the gospel into the world, we have this period of preparation And it's a glorious thing to see the hand of God at work then as now. Yeah. Hmm. Scripture says at the right time. That's right. God sent his son. In the time, yep. 
at the very right time. It, that's which it, is such a contrast to all of the other stories, which are once upon a time stories. Yeah, yeah. There's no once, once upon a time at here. The right this time. is at the exact right that's time. Right. Like you think about Luke too, and it came to pass that Caesar Augustus put out a decree that all the world would be taxed. Yes, and it just this plan starts into motion. It's already been in motion, but this okay. We're gonna we're gonna yeah. go to Bethlehem. And, and there it is. And I, thank you for giving us that scope of what's happening in the whole world that needs Jesus. Yeah. And Jesus is born into one small, insignificant town and changes the world. Amen. Yes. Yeah. That's beautiful. Well, you all have so much good reading ahead of you mm-hmm. this week. It is not boring. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it is anything but. Mm-hmm. And you're going to get to, like Rachel said, zoom in on some of these stories that still cover, you know, we're, we're covering years and years in chapters here. And so you have some good reading mm-hmm. to do, and then you'll come to the end of Second Chronicles. Mm-hmm. And if you have your study books, there will be a moment this weekend after your reading on Friday, so you can do this Friday, Saturday, even Sunday, where there's a moment for you to pause and reflect on on what you've read in Chronicles, on what we have learned about God and about what it means to be His people, what it means to turn and return to Him, what it means to worship Him and worship Him rightly. And it's this moment where we get to remember where we sit in the season of Lent as we begin the journey of Holy Week to remember that God's promises are still true, even Mm-hmm. in the midst of our apathy, our neglect, even outright disobedience, mm-hmm. as we have seen. And yet, even we, wherever we are, wherever we sit, can turn mm-hmm. and return to the Lord and put first things first, mm-hmm. like yeah. like you said, Dr. Grant. And it's going to—you have a beautiful week ahead of you. Yeah. Thank you so much, Dr. Grant. I, I don't want to close it. I want to just ask you, is there any final thoughts mm-hmm. before we close? Well, the final thing would just simply be look for that glory of the application of the gospel all the way through each of these kings' lives and their works, and how the gospel proceeds from worship to unity and rejoicing with the whole covenant community to celebration to cleansing the culture. Notice that pattern, and then heed the call. Walk it out. Don't simply absorb this as theoretical. This is the prophetic word that we need in our lives in this day and at this time. Lent is a time of repentance. It's time for us to act like Hezekiah's and Josiah's in our own day and start afresh. Amen. Thank you so much. Friends listening, we'll be back next week with our friend Corey Robertson to talk about Holy Week. And you have seven beautiful days of reading Scripture and being men and women in the Word of God every day this week. That is our encouragement to you. Please do not let listening to this podcast episode check any type of Scripture reading box for you. We hope that this only makes you more eager to seek the Lord and His Word more in love with Him and be shaped by His Word and by Him, become more like Him. Thank you so much for listening, y'all. We are grateful for you and come back next week. But until next week, Dr. Grant, what do we tell our friends? Oh, keep opening your Bibles. 